today they use, it's hysterical. I love to watch senior adults and teenagers communicate because they're just like staring. And they're using the same English language, but they don't understand each other, right? Because you take meanings and you load them with different words and you load them with different meanings, right? I mean, we, we know that language changes over time. I remember I watched an old, this is hysterical. I was watching an old, old movie that my wife's grandpa, who I was really close with, he passed away. We were watching a movie. I was showing it to my son. And they were singing how they were happy and gay. And CJ's like, you know, he's laughing hysterical. And I'm like, no, it means joy. He's like, I know, Dad. But that term means something very different than it did in the 50s, right? Same, same word, different term. Favoritism in our culture does not mean what it means here in this verse. Favoritism, that phrase, don't show favoritism. It's actually in chapter 2, verse 1. James begins this section. He says, don't show favoritism. Mentioned four times in our New Testament, and every time it's sin. God never shows favoritism. And again, what we were talking about last night, what's going on inside of him is supposed to go on inside of you. You, can't, you simply, hear this, you simply cannot tolerate anything in your life that he would not tolerate in his. We good? Come on, you can't tolerate anything. Anything that he wouldn't tolerate. Not if you want to be a child of God. If you want to be a religious person who shows up to church on Sunday, help yourself. But if you want to be a real, authentic Christian who's going to stand before him one day and listen to him say to others, you you know, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, gets in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? But if you want to be the real deal, authentic child of God, don't tolerate anything in your life that he puts his finger on and says, that's not in my life. So favoritism... God doesn't show favoritism, so you don't show favoritism. And you're like, well, what's the big deal about favoritism? In fact, when I first read this, I was like, okay, you can't have favorite music, can't have a favorite food. That's not what he's talking about. The Greek word favoritism, uh, this English word favoritism, is made up of two Greek words crunched together. So it's a compound word. It's made up of the terms outward and countenance, or outward and face. So to show favoritism with this term means that I favor you because of the outward. I like you because you have money, which is the example that he gives. In fact, he says in verses 2 through 4, suppose a man comes in wearing gold rings and a nice watch and some, you know, uh, cool clothing, money, that kind of thing, and you show favoritism with him over someone who's poor, you've sinned. So in other words, you do not get your value from the outward, Right? You get your value from the inward. That's a big deal in our culture. I see it with teens, and it's, it's, it's with us as well as adults, but I see it with teens. And in the South, the color of the skin is a big deal for them. I mean, I come from, my wife's not white, so I come from a huge multicultural family, and it just was natural for us. We moved down South, and people was like, you're weird. I'm like, you're weirder. You know? I mean, come on, dude. Jesus wasn't white. Amen? So, outward. Outward's not a big deal. It's, it's the inward. And by the way, this context isn't about some of the things we face in our, in our... He's talking about religious people. In fact, when he goes in the middle of the chapter, this next session, he, he, he talks about religious folks who show up to church on Sunday who are, you know, they profess with their mouth, but their hearts are not sincere. So favoritism is a focus on the outward. You see what I'm saying? And it, with the illustration that I give with, with teenagers is, you know, you, you, you cannot get your identity from your outward. 
your money, your athleticism, your beauty. I tell teens that all the time. I mean, you got teens here. They're, they're young and good looking. Ain't going to last. Seriously, look around. That's where you're headed. Seriously. I used to be something else, but not anymore. Okay? And what's sad is, is when you get your identity from your outward, you'll spend the rest of your life focused on the outward. We have women that live under these unrealistic, ungodly expectations in our culture. And we see 45, 50-year-old women who are still trying to look 20 and not getting it done. And it does. It breaks your heart. It absolutely breaks your heart. Why? Because they get their value from their outward. It's not bad. It's not bad to be free. It's not bad to be wealthy. It's not bad to be athletic. But I don't get my value from that. So you and I value inside heart motive. Everything is inside. He wants to transform your heart, not just your activities. In fact, I'm under the impression you don't really care about your activities. Those will change once your heart changes. Okay? So now he comes down in the middle of the section and he starts dealing with this this specific individual. And there's a different individual in verse 8 who doesn't show favoritism. But the guy in verse 9 does. He shows favoritism, which means he doesn't see correctly. See, if you show favoritism, you don't see the way God sees. That's the, are you with me? That's really important. So if you don't, if you show favoritism, you're focused on the outward. That's, that's, you don't see the way God sees. So he says, verse 9, if you show favoritism, you sin. That word sin is the Greek word hamartia. If you have my notes open, you can see that there. It's the word hamartia. It literally means error. It's the idea of John Wesley. You're missing the mark. You're just a little off. You ever meet anybody in church who's just a little off? That's that word. That you don't see the way God sees. You're askew. You're off. You're in error. That's a term. But this guy it enters into conviction, which tells you he does have error, but the problem is he knows that the error is there, and he chooses to become a lawbreaker. Now, the word lawbreaker is also a compound Greek word. It represents a different kind of sin. It represents rebellion. And the, and the word lawbreaker is broken up into two words. It's in, broke up in the words to step around. To step around. Um, the idea is I'm walking along and there's a puddle of water here. And I don't want to get my nice Adidas shoes all dirty. So I step around the puddle. I make a conscious decision to step around. So the idea is, is that this guy's in error God brings conviction, and by the way, that word conviction, the, the root idea of that word, and, and it's how it's translated in Revelation, means to expose. So God comes and puts his finger on this area of this guy's life and says, you don't see the way I see. You're operating in error. But the guy steps around and continues on. In other words, he doesn't care that he's in error. You know what's awesome about Christianity? Hear this. What's awesome about Christianity you're not condemned for being in error. You're condemned for refusing to let him to purify you from error. Which is why we believe two-year-olds go to heaven. We call two-year-olds the terrible twos. Have you been by your nursery? Yeah. They're in error. They're beating each other with Tonka trucks. I mean, they're just, they're terrible. They're, that's not, you have to discipline them out of that error. 
But no one walks by the nursery and goes, wow, that kid's going to hell. Man. Why, does it, why don't we say that? Because he doesn't know any better. There will come a point in his life, listen, this is huge. The two-year-old is in error. The two-year-old doesn't see the way God sees. A two-year-old is selfish. Little children are selfish. Okay, they just, that's what, they're just selfish. Okay, and probably goes up into the two, threes, and fours. But there will come a time in their life when they'll have an encounter with God, oftentimes through parents, and they'll, they'll be told, no, this is wrong. And when they do it anyway, that's rebellion. So what condemns you is rebellion. What, be, being in error does not condemn you. We'll talk more about this when we get to 1 John. Which again, this is why we believe two-year-olds, if they die, they go to heaven. Not because they're perfect, but because Christ's death forgave everybody. Do I need to comment on that? When Jesus dies on the cross, this isn't in the notes. Maybe I should put it in the notes. When Jesus dies on the cross, he forgave you. Everybody's forgiven. So Jesus comes to you and goes, wow, you're forgiven. I've already forgiven you, man. I paid the penalty for your sin. Let me help you. What condemns you is when you look at God and say, I don't want help. That's rebellion. And that's a type of sin. Hell was not created for you or me. It was created for the devil and his angels, and we were never to go there. And if you end up going to hell, it's not because God wouldn't save you. You refused to let him save you. That's the good news of the gospel. So everyone is born forgiven. It's just those who refuse to receive that forgiveness and be transformed. That's the issue. Does that make sense? You're going to need some convincing. Go with me. to This is why we go to 1 John. If you ever want to read a book on sin... 1 John chapter 1. If you ever want to read a book on sin, I, my personal opinion, 1 John is the best, it's the easiest. You can read Romans and you'll be reading it for the rest of your life. As you should, because it's a really good book. But it's complex, it's thorough, it's deep, it's wonderful. Um, but 1 John is just, I mean, he's a fisherman, he's writing in his own hand. He doesn't use complex language, he uses imagery language. He talks about God is light. In fact, look at verse 5. He uses light and darkness and life and death. So when you come into 1 John, the first four verses deal with Jesus. That which we've seen, we touched, we lived with, this is who we're proclaiming to you. And then he says in verse 5, this is the message we heard from him and declare to you. Okay, pause. Uh, I apologize. 1 John 1, 5. And actually, 1, 5 and 6. So he says, this is the message we heard from him and declare to you. In other words, John is saying, listen, I didn't cook this up down at Starbucks after a few cups of coffee. I didn't learn this in theology, which none of that's bad. This came out of his mouth, and we're telling it to you. Okay, this is the message we heard. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Here's the message of the gospel. God is light. In him there's no darkness. If you claim to be with Jesus in the light, and yet you live in darkness, you are a liar. That's his language. 
God is this, he's not that. If you claim to be in him and yet you live in that, there is something seriously wrong. And you're going to say, well, hold on. That sounds like you have to be perfect. Yes. But what kind of perfect are we talking about? There's two different kinds of sin. There's error and rebellion. Well, he first deals with error. Verse 8, 1 John 1, 8 is my favorite verse in the entire. In fact, look up, go ahead and type in 1 John 1, 8 through 9. But verse 8 is my favorite passage in the whole Bible, simply because it makes Nazarenes uncomfortable. Listen to this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is plural. It's present tense. It applies to everyone then and everyone now in this room. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If there's anybody in this room right here tonight that says, I'm without sin, you're deceived. You're going to say, well, hold on. We don't believe in sin. Well, I, well, I don't either, but what kind of sin are you talking about? This word here for sin is hamartia, which again means error. In other words, if there's anyone in this room that says, I'm perfect, just waiting to go to heaven. First off, ask your wife. If she won't be honest with you, come talk to me or your pastor. See, if you claim to be without error, see, again, that's two-year-old sin stuff. That's areas of my life where I, I don't see the way he sees, but I don't know any better. In fact, if you, if you ever went to and, and studied this in college, and it's, it, it's boring as I'll get out, really good. But the, it's, it's, it's the Wesleyan understanding of, of sin, which is what we're talking about tonight, is it's, 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 this, it's this prevenient grace of God that's pulling you into a right relationship with him. It begins with what we call initial sanctification. I get saved. I ask Jesus to come and live in my heart. And then, after he comes and lives, I stop sinning. I no longer rebel against him. But there comes a time in my life where he wants to cleanse and transform my very nature. We call that entire sanctification. From that point, so there's initial sanctification, entire sanctification, up until ultimate sanctification, which is where you croak, from that point until that point, we call that growth in grace. You should never, ever stop growing. Well, what's the growing? In fact, biblically, you don't even start growing until this is transformed. Your nature is transformed. And then God begins to reveal areas of your life where you don't look like him. The way you dress, the way you drive your car. Attitudes you have. Know-it-all attitudes. Not that I've ever struggled with that. And he reveals those areas of your life. But we've had nature change. So we're like seeking and hungry. One of the problems, I, one problems I, I have, and that I caution people on, if it's been years since you've been to the altar, I'd be concerned. Seriously, I would be concerned. Because you ain't perfect. Amen? Yeah. So, Jay, so John says, listen, this is the message. God is this. He's not that. And if you claim to be in this, but you willfully live in that, you're a liar. And then he says, I need to explain that. So he deals with the first aspect of sin, which is error. Error that you don't know about. If any of us in this room say, I have no error in my life, I'm perfect. No, you're deceived. But then he says in verse 9, but if we confess our errors, what's that, the areas of our life where we don't look like him? And he reveals those to us. 
He's not only faithful and just to forgive us of our errors, but purify us from all unrighteousness. So he comes upon my life and reveals to me. Um, he revealed, this is something new in my life. And I, I didn't, this is recently. I, I was at this service and um, it was our community service. And this guy was preaching and teaching. I was home for a Sunday. It was over Easter. And uh, he just confessed. He says, one thing that God revealed to me this year that I struggled with, he says, is uh, a critical spirit. And I was like, poor fella. And then I heard the Lord, so do you. I'm like, what? I'm perfect. And he did. And he began to reveal to me about some of the friction I felt between me and my kids. Yeah, I, I'm telling you. You don't have to tell me. I already know. No, dear, seriously, like the Lord convicted me and spoke to me about it. And then he began to bring things to my mind that, I'd been, that had been happening where I'd go into my kid's room and they'd be like, I, I read my Bible today. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. I didn't know I was that guy. I'm that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. And I, I, you say, and that question I had was, well, how do you parent? Which really enforces that I've been that guy. And I want to learn to parent not like that. You know what I mean? I mean, I want them to read their Bible, but I don't want to be just don't, Jesus is not like that to me. Now, was I rebelling against God, not walking in the right relationship? Absolutely not. Was I operating in error? Absolutely. But when he convicted me of it and said, there's an area of your life that's going to hurt your relationship with your teenage kids unless you let me cure you of it. Let me open your eyes. Let me teach you how to parent. And I was like, I'm all in. Do you know how healthy that is? It's called Christianity. I confessed. I want you to purify me from all unrightness. I want to be the father to my kids that you are. And we'll talk a little bit later. I wonder where that stuff comes from. I didn't have Christian parents. And I'm not passing the buck and I'm not blaming, but I've learned that. Not from him, but are you, are you with me on this? I've learned that. So what I'm, what I'm trying to convince you, what I'm trying to com communicate to you, what I'm trying to communicate to you is error is a form of, of sin that's translated sin in the New Testament, which I don't think is helpful. I wish we'd just use Greek words because hamartia is very different than the other Greek words in the New Testament. It's not rebellion. I'll just wait. I want you to see what happens is I end up preaching on stuff and people say, he didn't say that. No, you were inattentive. I was watching. So hamartia means error. There's areas of our life where we just, we need to grow. I don't look like him. I have practices and I've picked up and I've learned from movies or television or whatever, my own insecurities. And I don't look like him. He's not sourced those. He's not produced those in my life. Now, he'll build this all the way through the book until he comes to chapter 3. And I want to pull, have you pull up the, um, um, this is a different, this is a paraphrase translation. You can look at it in your, um, in your NIV, NIV or whatever you have. But I want to look in the Passion Translation. It's, um, 
It's a, it's a newer paraphrase, but I absolutely love this passage. It's chapter 3, beginning at verse 4, all the way down. Let me look for sure. It's from verse 4 all the way down through verse 10, if you're going to put that in for us. So here's what we're dealing with. There are 10 different Greek words for sin in our New Testament. Rather, 33 different Greek words. They come to 10 different root words. These 10 different root words fall into two categories. They fall into mistakes, accidents, error, and rebellion. Those are two different forms for sin. Where you get condemned is rebellion. You are not condemned because you are wrong. Because we're all wrong in some area of our life. Where you get condemned is when he points to you and says you're wrong and you say I don't, I don't care. That's what condemns you. You're never condemned because you're, you're not perfect. None of us are perfect. You're condemned when you refuse to let him perfect you. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Doesn't want anybody to go. And the people who end up there refuse to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they not believed in God's one and only son. I've read that somewhere. That's a gospel, man. Dude, he's so good. That's incredible. He comes and says, I took it all out on Jesus. You're forgiven. Let me in your life. I want to make you look just like him. And those who are condemned are to say, no, I don't want to look just like him. Then don't. But there's a whole theology out there that says, I don't want to look like him, and I don't look like him, but I still want to go to heaven. It didn't work like that. Because if you don't like him here, you ain't going to like it there. So the first half of 1 John, he talks about error. And he talks about brokenness and hurt and trauma and some of the reasons why we act the way we act. Hurting people hurt other people. They just do. Hurting people hurt other people. So he describes all of that in the first half of his book. And then he comes down to the middle and he starts talking about rebellion. If you want to have demonic activity in your life and oppression, you want to have an identity that's not rooted in how he sees you, but you want to see the way the enemy does. And I, I use the illustration for, for pornography. The, and I think we are adults here. I was at this camp and um, it, was, it was interesting. A mom had caught her son. I was the camp meeting speaker, and they had a youth speaker. And I had been there years before and was the youth speaker. It was at the Missionary Church denomination in Ohio and a little camp there. And um, this back when we traveled in a bus. This was years ago. But my, my wife and I were there, and this woman knocks on our door, and she's got her teenage son. And he went to youth group in the afternoon. We were at home, uh, you know, after dinner, and we were going to go back to service that evening. She brings in her son, and she's livid. She's upset. She caught it. She looked at his phone. He'd been in porn, and she'd found it. And her attitude was like, fix him, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And so, and he was a good kid. He was not evil. He was just stupid and deceived. And he was buying into the world's lie of what sexuality looks like. And he was mortified. 
And so he repented, and, and we prayed with him, and he was so, I mean, he had an encounter. I saw it the rest of the week. It's beautiful. In fact, I, I know him today, good kid. I mean, just all that. But when he let, before they left, I let him leave, and I wanted to talk to mom. And I said, you understand there's consequences to sin because sin is not a physical thing. Sin is a spiritual thing. See, the problem is not just watching two individuals, you know, enter into sexual things and watch that. That's not what pornography is. Pornography is actually the Greek word, uh, the phrase sexual immorality that we use in our New Testament. That's from the Greek word pornonia. So if you want to know what ungodly sexual behavior looks like, watch porn. And I've had people say, do you mean the porn industry went and did a Greek word study before they... It's demonic, folks. It's demonic. That's what, that's what satanic sexuality looks like. It's called lust, not love. And what I tried to communicate to this mom is that sin, rebellion especially, but all sin, the problem is not in the activity. We want to fix the activity. See, it's the, it's the wife that brings her husband. Fix him. God fixes him. I can't. He just has to have a willing heart. That's literally what this comes down. Just respond when he speaks to you. He'll clean up. Everything. All this will he'll clean up. This is the problem. This is never the problem. Seriously, this is not the problem. If this was the problem, God would have taken Adam and Eve aside and said, don't you ever do that again. But that wasn't the problem. Spiritually was the problem. So porn is not a physical thing. It's not your sex drive. It's not your testosterone levels. That has to do with any, any, any of that. It is, a, it is a lie of the enemy that you've believed is true. And the problem with that young man has nothing to do with accountability and I won't do it anymore and take my phone and all that. See, unless he is transformed by the renewing of his mind, when he gets married one day, that's how he's going to view sex. And it's going to cripple his marriage. You want to know why half of our churches, uh, people in church, their marriages are falling apart? They have an ungodly view of marriage. They have a satanic view of marriage. I'm telling you, sin is deadly. It's not a physical thing. And it's interesting. People come to church, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. Yes, you are. Do you know how I know? Because you like that. That's how you see. When God convicts you, you know what confession means? We're going to get to this later. But confession means I just confess that. Yes, I like that. I, don't, I shouldn't like that, but I do like that. Which is why I wrestle with doing it, because I really like that. That's like a little, you ever have a little kid come up to you and say, I'm not going to breathe. I'm like, <laughs> I'm betting you will. Yeah, hold his breath, he'll pass out, start breathing. See, the only way for you not to eat ice cream anymore is for God to change you so you don't like ice cream. That's an inside thing. That's a new creation thing. That's a transformation of the nature thing. Prison doesn't fix you. Jesus, he's the only way. He's the only one who can save us from our sin. It's not your discipline. It's you being a different creature. A new creation. I feel different. So what, what bondage is, what strongholds are, 
is a lie that I believed is true. Well, Jesus is the truth. And he comes and says, that's a lie. And I confess that I believed it. I repent and renounce it. And you're set free. And you could be different. You could feel different. But if you live in rebellion, what you're doing, again, you have error. God will come and put his finger on you. And when he puts his finger on you, in whatever the area that is, because I just assume you're not living in rebellion. If you're living in rebellion, you've got bigger fish to fry. Because it is an open door. Rebellion is looking at God and saying, listen, I love you. I want to go to heaven. I've heard about the pool. It's going to be awesome. New bodies all in. In fact, I think you're awesome. You're incredible. I just look at finances different than you. Yeah, the way you look at men, the way you look at women, I don't. But I still think you're great. That's what sin is. So sin is, I don't want to look like you here, but can I still come? I want to go to heaven. I'll be good every other Wednesday. That, that's what we think. That's what sin is. That's what rebellion is. And God's like, it's not the activity. It's your heart. You've got problems in here that I need to cure. Listen to, what, listen to how John, so the first half of his book, he talks about this error that we're in. And, 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 and what happens is he comes to this point in chapter 3 where God is going to convict you. God is going to put his finger on you. Really, are you with me? Is this too much? So you have, you, have, you have the nursery kids that are beating each other with Tonka trucks or tractors, depending on what area you live in. And God will come and put his finger and tap on them and say, you don't, you don't look like me. And that child, whenever that age of accountability is, will have an opportunity to say, I'm sorry I repent or I don't want to look like you. And if he says, I don't want to look like you, that's called rebellion. Let me read this to you. This is out of the Passion Translation, and I, this, I think this is fantastic. Chapter 3, verse 4, beginning at verse 4. This is, this is how he describes rebellion. Anyone who indulges in sin, now listen to that language. That word sin is hamartia, so he's talking about error. But anyone who indulges in error lives in moral anarchy. For the definition of sin is breaking God's law. So he says, listen, if God comes and reveals error and you indulge in that still, that's rebellion. Yeah, you don't, you're not act right. You don't look right. You're not talking right. You don't look like me. I don't care. That's rebellion. Listen, I won't, I won't keep interrupting, but beginning at verse 5. And he says, and you know without a doubt that Jesus was revealed to eradicate sins. And there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in union with him will not sin. But the one who continues sinning hasn't seen him with discernment or known him by intimate experience. Verse 7. Delightfully loved children, don't let anyone divert you from this truth. In other words, don't let anybody talk you out of this. The person who keeps doing what is right proves that he's righteous before God, even as the Messiah is righteous. But the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil. Listen to that. But the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who is truly God's child will refuse to keep sinning because God's seed remains within him. He's unable to continue sinning because he's been fathered by God. Here's how God's children can clearly be distinguished from the children of the evil one. 
Anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to fellow believers is not living with God as his source. That's phenomenal. What's he saying? He said, if God reveals error in your life and you're like, I don't care, I don't care, I'm going to continue living that way, you are not a Christian. You're not a child of God. And that's not my rule, that's what he says. Because what you're saying is, is I know how you see, I know how you feel, I don't care. I don't want to look like you. I don't want to feel like you. So, really quickly, if you're living in rebellion tonight, if you've got an area of your life that you're just living a double life, it's more than just get right with God. You have an open door of the enemy in your life. You're spreading that everywhere. I want to talk for a second about error. Seriously, tonight, if you're living, and we're not going to be like announcing it. I don't have a microphone down here and say, oh, hey, why are you down here tonight? You know, so we're not going to be doing that, right? So you, you can be safe, but you need to respond. In fact, one of the best prayers anybody can pray for you is pray that the real you will be exposed. Because sooner or later, the real you is going to get out. And then it's sad because repentance comes from embarrassment rather than true, authentic, I don't want to look like that. Most of the time when you get into rebellion, you get caught in that. And you're like, I can't quit. It's called oppression. It's called being a slave to sin. No one ever quits sinning, rebelling. You have to be delivered from sin. You have to be let out of prison by Jesus. In other words, coming to church, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah, you are. Why? Because that's who you are. You do that because you like that. That's who you are. You're an apple tree. You're going to produce apples. Well, I don't want to produce apples. We don't want you to produce apples. We want you to produce peaches. I'm not a peach tree. You can be. Isn't that a cool illustration? I just came up with that. That's what they, you, you could be a peach tree, man. You don't have to be the way you've always been. It's phenomenal news. What kept the Pharisees from being transformed was pride. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a little bit. This is 100% truth. I was in this church not too long ago, and um, it was huge. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't hear this tonight, so I'm just going to use it as an illustration. But I flat out heard it from the Lord. I flat out heard it from the Lord. You need to, people need to be delivered from pornography at this church. And I just said, hey, I want everybody to close, close their eyes real quick. No one looking around. I turned around. I told the worship team, please close your eyes. Honor, honor that. Honor the people here. I told the pastoral staff. Saw one lady over in the atrium on that side. She's looking around. I said, hey, excuse me, miss. Talking to you. Eyes closed. And I said, if you're wrapped up in pornography, it doesn't get any easier to be set free from this. You can be set free. All you have to do is raise your hand. If you want to live in it, help yourself. Half the congregation, over half were senior adults. It's everywhere. It's secret. It's private. If you have to be set free from that. You have to be set free. 
So we're going to do that tonight. But what I really want to focus on is error. A lot of our behavior, even pornography, but attitudes, shame, self-hatred, condemnation, people who just can't see themselves the way that God does. And honestly, once you walk with the Holy Spirit, like some of you have been around forever, I'm sure you have, you can, you'll hear it. You hear it in how they talk to, about themselves. I just stop them and say, that's a lie. Why, why, you, why, do you, why do you believe that? Who told you that? And you go back far enough, it was a mom or it was a dad. Really quickly, I had a pastor. We was at this church in uh, Iowa. And um, I'll tell you what we're going to do in a minute, but I, had him, I just asked the Holy Spirit to take him back. Take him back to reveal what area of their life he needs to deal with. Take him back to the first time where it happened. Because what happens, error often happens in trauma. So you have a child that's abused. And the enemy comes in trauma, in that trauma, and speaks a lie. You're dirty. You're worthless. No one's going to accept you. Don't tell anybody. They speak those lies. You know what I'm saying? And they believe them. And they grow up with that identity. They're not evil. They're not bad. They've believed a lie. Luke chapter 4. Jesus says, I've come to set the captives free. Redemption, primary, uh, primary um, definition of, of redemption is to deliver out of bondage. But redemption, that's the root word. literally means to deliver. Redemption is a compound Greek word. It means to deliver, set free, out of deliverance. It's literally apo, whatever it is. It's out of deliverance. You're just delivered out of something. So the enemy comes and he speaks in a traumatic event. This pastor came to me after the service. It was so beautiful. Dude, he was crying. His wife was crying. And he came to me and he said, when we were praying, he goes, the Lord took me back and I was literally standing in the lunch line in fourth grade and I'm working on this math problem and my buddy comes up behind me and he said, come on, let's go play kickball. And he said, I told him, I got to get this math done. And he said, my buddy looked over my shoulder and said, you're stupid. That's easy. And he goes, I believe you. He goes, I was there. I was there in the service. I was there. He goes, it's why I didn't go to college. It's why I didn't accept my call to the ministry. He came to ministry way late. The dude had believed, believed a lie for 35 years. So what he did in the service is he says, I confess that I felt that way. I confess that I believed that. But I renounce that and I repent of that line of thinking in the name of Jesus and I come into agreement with how you see me, and I receive how you receive me, and I believe it, and I tell that lying spirit to go in the name of Jesus. And he was free immediately. And it was incredible. You would be shocked and startled, honestly. No, just 100% honest. You'd be shocked and startled the number of senior adults that I counsel that live with stuff. This, this isn't teens. They live with junk. That you, some of the, the generation you grew up in was sad. Just to be frank with you. Well, we grit and bear it. Uh, yeah, that's smart. Well, that's just how it was. Uh, yeah, and it was stupid. 
It was terrible. You were never supposed to be treated that way. That's not normal. That doesn't make you tough. And that's certainly not Christ-like. Because look what it produces. And you can continue to live in that if you want to, but I'm telling you, you don't have to. I come from a long line. I'm a, from really, really, really bad people. Like really bad people. And the greatest compliment I ever get is when people hear my testimony and they come to me and say, I cannot believe you lived homeless as a drug addict. I'd have never guessed that. Because it's not me. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy anymore. I'm different, dude. You can say dude church. I'm different, man. I'm new on the inside. I think different. I don't just do things. I just don't grit and bear it. Okay, I'm not going to punch that guy's lights out. Praise the Lord. No, I feel different. You find yourself being to love, love people that you never were able to love before. Self-control of your body drive, bodily drives is a fruit of the Spirit. Not grit and bear it. Isn't that beautiful? He can control what you can't control. Jesus was a real man. And he said, you can be just like me. So I want to I do this tonight. You are the most beautiful, stoic people I've ever met in my entire life. It is such a blessing. The whole time I'm thinking, they either hate me or love it. Or maybe a little bit of both. Now I'm teasing. I want to pray with you. I prayed with that girl in the front row who had been cutting. She never did go through. I don't have to know. He's, you know what I love about Jesus? He protects your integrity. <laughs> He's so good. He's made it impossible not to be set. Literally the only way you will not be set free is if you don't want to be. That's the only way. Like this is idiot proof. You can't, you can't mess it up. Because it's not by works. By faith. What does that mean? I just believe you. Like, you really see me that way? Like, I'm a stud? I've been saying it. Dude, I do. I believe. I believe everything you say about me. And the freedom in that. The biggest thing I struggle with in my life is condemnation and shame. There are days I wake up in the morning and the enemy is sitting on the edge of my, I can't prove any of this, but he's sitting on the edge of my bed. And he starts, and I just, I, I just come to identify it. I'm like, what are you doing here? Please go to another room. Now. I just choose to believe what you say about me. And it's coming less and less. I'm becoming convinced of who I am in Jesus. We're all going to see each other on this part. Please be honest. Who in here right now has an area of their life that God wants to change and you know it. Raise your hand high so everybody can see it. Do this with me. Father, we
we are in an age, and we didn't go into this, Father, but we are in an age of grace. We are in a season that Paul calls the, it says, age of grace. The good news, Jesus has paid for your sin, accept it. There's going to come a day when sin will be paid for. I want you to take mine. In the name of Jesus, I give you permission to reveal any area of my life. I, I beg you, for the sake of my children and my wife and those around me, I want you to reveal any area of my life where I don't look like you, where I don't think correctly. Father, I've been exposed to military life. I've been exposed to trauma, a bad home life, chemical dependency, sexual immorality. Lord, I lived in the world. I lived in the world in the formative days of my life. I experienced abuse and trauma. I'm sure I've picked up ways of thinking from the world that you just... And you've been so gracious to me. You're so long-suffering. You're so good. I just want to be on the same page with you. I don't come to you for blessing. I don't, I don't come to use you. I don't want anything from you. I've tasted that you're good. I know what freedom feels like. And I want it in every area of my heart. I don't want to be quick-tempered. I don't want to be a critical, I don't want to have a critical spirit. I want to respond in love to the driver who drives in the fast line 10 miles under the speed limit and doesn't care. I want to love that person. I want to be patient. I don't want to be self-seeking. I want to live trusting in you, not in my bank account. Father, there's just so much more work you need to do in me. My heart is completely open. I'm filled with your presence. But I'm under the impression I'm a work in process. And Father, there's a number of people here tonight that grew up on the same planet that I did. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you bring him back? Ask him to reveal it to you. I'm talking to you. Ask him to reveal it to you. Jesus, where am I not thinking correctly? Where am I not feeling correctly? Where am I in bondage? Why do I keep doing the same thing over and over again? Take me back. When did I first come into agreement with it? When did I believe the lie? When did I come into agreement that I'm filled, with, that I'm shameful, that I'm a loser, that I'll never be different? What labels am I speaking over myself? What do I call myself that you don't call me? Who am I coming into agreement with? Do I come into agreement with how the enemy sees me? Or Jesus, am I coming into agreement with how you see me? Take us back, Lord. In the name of Jesus, take us back. Take us back to the bad attitude. Take us back to the anger problem. It's not frugal. It's selfish and stingy. In the name of Jesus. Take us back to coveting. Come on, take us back, Lord. And you don't need, again, every, everybody raised their hand, so it's okay. You don't have to say it out loud. 
But you do have to say, Jesus, I confess that that is me. That's how, and you can word it however you want. That's how I feel. That's what I like. That's the way I've been. I confess it. I don't pass it off on ownership. I don't just blame it on the devil. I, I confess that I did that. I confess that I believe that. Even out of the trauma that I experienced, I confess, yes, that's how I've seen myself. That's how I've seen others. That's how I feel. I confess that. In the name of Jesus, I repent in the name of Jesus. Say it, I repent in the name of Jesus. I come out of agreement in the name of Jesus with that lie. In the name of Jesus, I come out of agreement with that lie. I don't want to look like that. I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to see that way anymore. I don't want to be wrapped up in that bondage. I confess and I repent in the name of Jesus. And I ask you to come down and fill my life and forgive me. I ask you to transform my heart. I ask you to fix what I don't even know what needs fixed. I ask you to come down and begin to disciple me. In the name of Jesus, let your spirit, the witness of your spirit, just flow over me. And then command it in the name of Jesus. I command every lying spirit, every oppressive spirit, any demonic activity that would come against me to steal my identity, I renounce you in the name of Jesus and command you to leave in the name of Jesus. You are not welcome in my life. In the name of Jesus, go. You are so good. In the name of Jesus, Father, please help me. Help me not resist what you want to do in my life. You only want my betterment. You only want to help me. Sanctify us wholly. Transform our inward nature so that we, we literally, we want what you want. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. It wasn't too weird, right? One thing, you need, you need to tell somebody. You do. You need to tell somebody. That 80-year-old woman came to me and told me. And it was, I know it was mortifying for her. But she was just like, it was so, she was so cute. She was like, I feel different. I was like, you're so cute and tiny. She was adorable. And most of the people that I meet that are just terrible, like they didn't realize they've been lied to as a kid. They lived that way forever. Seriously, proud, big, proud farmer, big guys. I, I prayed with a man. I, I mean, it's all confidential. You don't know who I'm talking about, but I, wouldn't, I would never lie to you, but I prayed with a man in Iowa about a year and a half ago, and uh, he came up and he was just mortified. He'd been living a double life for 40 years. Had a wife and kids. He loved the Lord, but he battled um, homosexuality his whole life. And it came back into high school. He was abused in the locker room. 
I said, wrap my arm around him, man. And he, he went and had to get some further counseling, but he felt free. He's like, this is the first time I've been free in 40 years. It's like, what took you so long, dude? It was beautiful. The enemy wants to keep us locked down in shame and embarrassment and guilt. It's all a lie. In the first century, James said, confess your sins to one another. That's hysterical, isn't it? Maybe we should do that tonight. <laughs> That's crazy. He would say, just stand up and confess it. You may be healed. Because you don't quit sinning. You're healed from sin. Well, I could go on forever. God's so good. So, hey, if you... Uh, you want to share tomorrow night or we're maybe have a little bit of a testimony time or something? Yes, sir. Get out of here. Really? Is he a good cook? <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I just want you to be free, honestly. I want you to be free. Because a lot of the stuff we're in bondage to, I know it doesn't sound theologically correct, a lot of times it's not your fault. You were hurt, you were lied to, you were abused, you get locked in. It's a lie. Yeah. I come from a brutal home life, and I believe things about myself that just weren't true. It weren't true. I lived with it for 20 years after I was saved, my early 40s. It just, it was a cap. I didn't believe what he said about me. You stoic people, you. Well, let's fellowship together, and if all hearts are clear, are we all good? And uh, if the Lord speaks to you and just says, hey, I love it, but we really, maybe he wants you to talk with someone, and you're, you're safe, you got a pastor that loves you, and, uh, um, you know, there might be some, some kind of working through some things. Um, we do uh, every three months, we do an in-depth week, uh, weekend counseling, deliverance counseling, where groups come from all over the country. No one knows each other. No one knows Chad and Brooke who lead the whole thing. And you spend a weekend and you just go through it. It's total of probably about 12 to 14 hours over a weekend, a weekend deliverance. If you're interested in some of that, you can come and see me. I got the link. We're doing one in May. I think it's it's in May. I know it's this coming May, but, um, and it's El Cheapo. It's not a money thing. All right, praise the Lord. You're dismissed.